How do I help people heal through the process of spiritual formation when spiritual formation has been used against them? Mm. How do I help them come back and see who Jesus was, who they remembered Jesus was before the harm happened and coming to an understanding really of who Jesus wants to be in their lives? Welcome to your Pastor Reads Books. I'm your host, Heather Weber, and today my guest is Pastor Nancy Rotz, who talks with me about Tyler Staten's book, Living Like Monks, Praying Like Fools, An Invitation to the Wonder and Mystery of Prayer. Nancy is an ordained minister with the Assemblies of God and serves as pastor of mental health and recovery at Evergreen Christian Community in Olympia, Washington. She oversees the church's in-house counseling ministry, as well as recovery and marriage programs and prayer ministry. Even though we have so many books on prayer available to us today, Nancy says we definitely need Tyler Staten's book, which encourages us to overcome our fears and insecurities about prayer so that we can experience more of the wonder of a relationship with God. We also talk at the beginning of our conversation about some recent stories of harm that have come out of the Assemblies of God World Missions Organization. Stories of harm in ministry settings aren't new, but when those stories can be engaged with and listened to, there's a chance for healing and restoration. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Nancy, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you. Thanks. So fun to be here with you. You know, one of the things that I noticed right right away about you, because you're a new acquaintance of mine or a Mm -hmm. new friend of mine, but one Mm -hmm. of the things that I noticed right away was that you have a very unique pastoral title at your church, which is uh, Pastor of Mental Health and Recovery. And that is such a rare title. I don't know that I've ever seen that. I think your church is very big, so there's the opportunity to have a lot of sort of specialist pastors. But can you just talk a little bit about how you came into that role and how that aligns with who you are? Yeah. So um, I think it goes back quite a ways because um, we were missionaries. And when we were missionaries, I worked with traffic women and I didn't have a huge understanding of trauma. Like I knew it. all of that. But that whole understanding of trauma has just exploded in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years now, probably longer than that. But I I hadn't read the books. I didn't know it. So I began to read and I just began to learn about it. Um, when you work with people who are, who suffer trauma, you have to face your own brokenness. Mm. And so I began to do that, began to look at where am I broken? What are the things that that I need healing, God to come in and heal me in these places, people to speak life into me. And so it just kind of became, you know, we all have our things that we kind of latch on to and that we begin to go into a rabbit hole in. Mm. And I never felt like I was supposed to become a counselor. I never felt like, um, you know, a social worker, any of those kind of things that do more of the counseling, but I had a lot of knowledge about it. Mm -hmm. And so um, the pastor here knew that. And um, he asked me to come on with this role. And they have, we have, um, when I started, we had two counselors. Now we have four counselors that come in. um, Most of them are just volunteer. 
in the church and um, they meet a need for people. Counseling is super expensive. I'm in the Pacific Northwest and and counseling is expensive in other parts of the country. It's even more expensive on the West Coast. And so it makes counseling accessible for people to have to have counseling. So I get to do that. Um, and then the recovery ministries in the church, celebrate recovery and even marriage ministry, things like that. Those things are under my portfolio okay. too. Okay. Okay. And you oversee the licensed counselors who come in and volunteer. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So uh, basically, you know, figuring out how they're scheduled, what they're doing, checking in with them, you know, um, what they do, but, but we have licensed counselors who actually mm-hmm. work with people. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. And did you, I'm curious because I, I have friends who have a heart like yours, but did you ever, um, was there any avenue or, um, area where you sought tr- extra training, um, because this was such a passion in your heart, um, that you would recommend to anyone? You know, I did, um, three years and this is when I still lived in Missouri, mm-hmm. but I did three years at the Allender Center in Seattle, and I did their story work okay. training. And I remember reading Dan Allender, since this is a book about reading, uh, mm-hmm. the show about reading, you know, mm-hmm. I remember d- reading Dan Allender's book, To Be Told, mm-hmm. and thinking, wow, wouldn't it be cool if I could just go to a story workshop one time? And then I got to do three years of training in it, training in story, and um I really believe our stories are so much of who we are. Yes. Okay. I wondered if you were Dan Allender affiliated because even your language where I've seen you talk about stories of harm, um, that's the language that one of my best friends uses. And she has done um, two years of certification with um, the Seattle, I think it's the Seattle School of Theology. Yeah. Right? Well, or... well, the Allender Center is within the Seattle School. Okay. Okay. So, so it's a, the yeah. Allender Center is a certificate program where the other is an accredited. I see. Um, you know, uh, higher education. I see. And yeah. she has done the certificate program just as yeah. you have. And yeah. she's going to love hearing this. Yeah. Um, that's so fun. Yeah. So when you say that our stories are so important, like, tell me more what you mean by that and, and how you um, help people engage with their stories to get recovery and to get healing. Yeah. I just think so often our stories, you know, well, first of all, we're not willing to face our own stories. And especially as Christians, I think often we just grow up in kind of the concept of, I grew up in the good Christian home. But, you know, we all are parents that we do our best, and yet we carry the junk with us, and um, we can't, it sounds terrible, but we can't help but harming our kids. It's not that we're doing horrible things, you know, but we tend to think in terms often of big T trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't hit, I wasn't sexually abused, I wasn't this, I wasn't that, and so I didn't suffer any harm. And yet parents will often say things not really knowing, you know, the sticks and stones may break my bones, mm-hmm. but words will never hurt me. Or, or, you know, you don't feel that you don't have that emotion. You don't, whatever, they shut those things down. Mm-hmm. And there's so many people, my generation, older, maybe younger, that say emotions weren't allowed in their home. Mm. And so how do we 
come to that, we have to realize where does that land in our story? And a lot of times it's just remembering. And I believe God helps us to remember things. You know, we don't remember every story as we go. But sometimes there's things that happen to us and we simply remember them. Mm. And then we write them out and we say, where was Jesus in this story? Mm. Where's Jesus with me in this story? And um, I had a story of one time, you know, that came to me and it was a church activity and I was told to wait and wait and wait and I had to wait until it was over. Mm. And it was kind of something the leaders did to me. And I realized how hard waiting was my whole life. Mm. And um, I had worked through that story. And then afterwards, I was just sitting with my journal. And I felt like Jesus just showed me that he was waiting there with me. Mm. He was holding my hand as a child. And that just totally rewrites our story. Mm. Or when people speak into our story. And just say, you know, not just you were brave, because so often bravery is something we have to do. Mm-hmm. We have to be brave. That's the way we cope. That's the way we survive. But they show us our goodness in those situations or the way we've been able to handle it in those situations and what it cost us. When we talk about those things, mm. um, people understand. People people grow. People heal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really good, Nancy. And um, now the connections I'm making in my head just make even more sense because a few weeks ago, um, and actually one of the ways we started connecting more um, was through a Facebook post that you posted on your wall about stories of harm that um, have been told by missionaries who um, are coming out of the, um, the, the missions arm of the Assemblies of God organization, which you and I are both ministers in. Um, and, you know, for our listeners who don't know, this organization is AGWM, AG World Missions. And you were posting about, uh, you posted a podcast uh, where someone told a story of harm. Uh, you uh, talked about, you know, hearing other stories of harm and the need for these stories to be told. And, you know, it makes me think as I think about you saying individuals get healed when they can engage with their own stories and mm-hmm. invite Christ into their own stories. Um, that organizations can also be healed when they yeah. can engage with the stories yeah. of people within them. And and I wonder like what you would want to share about that and what you see. Um, because you used to be a missionary, you were mm-hmm. part of AGWM. Mm-hmm. What do you see um, is your role in bringing healing to the the people in your sphere of influence, even though you, you may not have like an official, you know, title in AGWM? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I worked for a time with member care, which member care is like pastoral care to missionaries. Mm. And that's where I began to hear some of these stories. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of times people just want to be heard. They don't want to be, when they're in the, this organization, in these settings, they're not wanting to be taken down. They're not wanting to be told they're not, you know, they're nothing. Mm-hmm. But since making that post, I continually have people coming to me. Yesterday, my husband and I spent a couple hours on the phone with somebody. And that's the second time we've done that. Just talking to people, letting them process through because they've daily been told, you know, you're wrong. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you're bad. You're this. You're that. And um, I think so much of that comes out of leadership that's never dealt with their own stories. Mm. We have to deal with ourselves. We have to deal with the broken places in ourselves. And sometimes that broken place is where how we see Jesus. Who we see Jesus. Do we see Jesus as this really hard taskmaster? Mm-hmm. Or do we see him as a God who loves us deeply and who cares for us deeply? So a big part of like what I have felt, like what has risen up in me is that God has called me to bring healing to hurting people. Um, to touch the heart of her healing people with his love and his healing power. I really believe Jesus can can heal us, but it's also in in showing up to people. It's in people seeing us. It's in people reaching out to us. And so he, hearing those stories. So, you know, um, about four years ago, I heard of a, a doctoral program um and i knew it was a place that i could try to figure this out how could i pe- help people deal with their stories mm-hmm. um and i'm about to go into my last year of that doctor of ministry program but what i've been writing what i've been working on is just this how do i help people heal through the process of spiritual formation when spiritual formation has been used against them mm-hmm. how do i help them come back and see who jesus was who they remembered Jesus was before the harm happened and coming to an understanding really of who Jesus wants to be in their lives. Mm, That's so powerful. And I was really struck by the sentence uh, you used when spiritual formation has been used against them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like you, I've heard stories of harm from AGWM missionaries and Often it does sound like the leadership they have experienced from whoever's above them do seem like hard taskmasters, mm-hmm. do seem, you know, yeah. do seem like um like there's a lack of compassion or a lack of mercy. And and having leadership so impact your life when you're on the mission field is a kind of spiritual formation, right? It and, is. It and they're is. directing you. Yeah. So, yeah. What do you, go ahead and say something. Oh, that's so that? much. Yeah. Um, I actually, this summer thought, you know, it is a formation because everything that we come in contact with, everything in our life forms us. And so we're either formed well or we're malformed. And when we're in ministry and we have leaders that that constantly tell us we're bad, we're not doing it right, we're not doing enough, all of that, we begin to say, what's my problem? Where I, why did Jesus call me if I can't even X, Y, Z? Yeah. You know, or if I'm really this bad person, why did, why did God give me this voice if I can't use it? Mm. And there's so many good people. I mean, that's why I just want to say there's so many good people who are answering the call to go overseas. Mm-hmm. So many people with just dear, sweet hearts. And so many young people. Mm-hmm. They're just tender. They're young and they're just saying, yes, I want to. But if we can't deal with the fact that a 22-year-old is going to act like a 22-year-old, not a 50-year-old, mm-hmm. then we're missing things. A 22-year-old is going to be a 22-year-old. Mm-hmm. 
And and sometimes if they haven't come in with a family that's formed them well or whatever, you know, it might be difficult. Mm -hmm. But can we just have grace? Can we come to a place of understanding God's grace in our own lives and offer that to others rather than this idea of a taskmaster? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And um, I know you said that it would be okay to include your email in the show notes, because Mm -hmm. from what I am hearing, you are open to people reaching out to you. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a lot of people. And and as I talked about my doctoral program, what I'm writing is an intensive Mm. for people to come to me, um, spend about five days here Mm. and work through some of this stuff. Okay. All the trauma, trauma studies that I've done, all of that, it all works with the Bible. Mm. It all goes together. I mean, God is the giver of all these gifts of truth, right? Yes. And and so how can I help somebody work through that trauma, but at the same time find Jesus there and find healing there? And that comes in relationship too. God has made us to be relational people. Mm-hmm. So that harm comes in relationship, but healing also happens through relationship. Yes. Yes. I have been saying for a while that the church can hurt the church, but the church can also mend the church, (laughs) you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yep. And here you are wanting to do just that, amend the church. So we'll include your, your info in the show notes. Um, and you know, you just talked about the Bible and God's truth. And so that seems like a good segue to talking about reading, which yes, obviously do a ton of reading in your demon program. How did you become a reader? You know, I think I've become a reader over time. Mm. I remember, um, you know, elementary school going to the library um, from a very early age, I remember the books that I loved to go get. And then in like upper elementary years, um, it was, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Ah. I loved that book. Loved it. And um, starring Sally J. Friedman as herself. These are just, you know, they're just books that spoke to me as a girl, you know, as an older girl. And then I would go to the, the, the bookmobile would come to my neighborhood. And then from the bookmobile, I'd get Snoopy cartoon books <laughs> and, you know, it was still reading mm-hmm. and, um, and I get these little paperbacks and I would just, you know, plow through them because that was what, what they had that I liked there. Oh. And so I would say that as I went through high school and stuff, I wasn't a great reader. I wasn't a person who just devoured stuff. But um, I went to college and fell in love with this man who loved to read. Hmm. Um, at one point, he got a Tom Clancy book for Christmas. Well, I think it, it was our like one of our first years married. I gave him a Tom Clancy book. It was a thousand pages. He wow. read it. He read it Christmas Day. The whole book. Wow. And, um, and he would do that during college. I mean, he would be reading something else and doing a schoolwork, reading all the time. And so we got married and we went on our honeymoon and we were honeymooning in Canada. And I went in a bookstore and I bought the whole Anna Green Gables. No, I think I didn't buy Anna Green Gables. I think I bought the Emily series. That oh, they the had. Emily of New Moon. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and on our honeymoon, we would sit and read. 
And I, you know, it was like, I realized if I'm going to be married to him, I've got to read. (laughs) And so I started off reading just novels, lots of Christian novels at that point. And I remember a point thinking, these are so stupid. Uh, Like they're just repeating the same thing, you know? (laughs) And um, the woman was done telling her story after 20 pages. And then she went on for another 200 because that was, and so I began to just, tip my toes into a lot of other stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was actually in doing my master's that I think I plunged fully into deeper reading and harder reading and um, have just really become, I love to read because mm. there's so much to learn. I'm a learner. Mm. I'm always a learner. And there's just so much to um, be gained from the pages of a book. Yeah. Even yeah. storybooks, even stories. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So if you were gravitating towards something you just wanted to read for fun right now, what do you think you'd gravitate toward? Oh, I would gravitate towards some, not not necessarily self-help, but um, like I know Kurt Thompson has a new book mm-hmm. coming out in a week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, how on earth am I going to wait to read this book? Because I've got so much reading to do this. Yes. Yes. I hear that. So it's always going to be something that further gets me into understanding what I'm trying. I've really been trying to learn and grasp attachment styles. um, And he, his stuff is all around that. So yeah. And he's written about shame. Yeah. Yeah. So it really like what you gravitate toward really aligns with your passion. It does. It It does. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. And um, I'm feeling the same way. Caitlin Chess, who's one of the co-hosts of The Holy Post, uh, has a book coming out in two days. And I am so excited to read it, but I'm also in the thick of prepping for all my seminary classes this fall. So we'll we'll see. We'll see how quickly I can get to it. But Nancy, why don't you introduce uh, the title and the author of the book we're going to talk about today? Okay. So I'm going to talk about the book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, um, An Invitation to the Wonder and Mystery of Prayers by Tyler Staten. And um, Tyler is a pastor at Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon. Uh, Before that, he pastored in Brooklyn, New York. And um, as I read, Tyler's a 30-something pastor. But as I read, he grew up in the church and he has this deep, deep love of prayer. Mm. And sometimes you go, okay, do we need or really need another book on prayer? Yes. I mean, you know, Richard <laughs> Foster has written like, you know, there's yeah. just these dynamic, dynamic um, Christian classics. And do we need another one? And I would actually say yes, mm. because sometimes I think um, what Tyler has done is he's written very much as the heart of a pastor, and it's a very accessible book mm. for people. He starts off with, you know, the idea of why don't we pray? And he says, he, I'm going to give you a quote here. He says, prayer itself makes us anxious because it uncovers fears we can ignore as long as we don't engage deeply, thoughtfully, vulnerably with God. And 
there's that thought that sometimes we just don't pray because we're we're so afraid. Like God knows everything. He knows everything about us. Mm-hmm. He knows who we are and everything. And yet we're still afraid to just really go before him and say, God, can I do this? Mm-hmm. And I think Tyler in this book just strips that away and says, yes, prayer is available for all of us. Hmm. I really like that. Um, I'm going to get that quote from you too, but prayer itself makes us anxious because it uncovers fears we can't ignore. Mm -hmm. So essentially like when we're in prayer and we open ourselves to prayer, we be, we become more aware of the stuff we're carrying, right? Like the fears. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and then sometimes, you know, I mean, you've probably had it, you know, there's the unanswered prayers and I'm just thinking of, you know, the, the silly country songs, you know, thank God for unanswered prayers, maybe, Mm. but sometimes (laughs) those unanswered prayers really sting. Yeah. And you know, God, why didn't you meet me in the way that I thought I needed to be met? God, why? Mm -hmm. And we can't really understand it. And so then we become afraid. Can I really bring this to God? Can I trust him Mm. with who he is in my life? Mm Mm-hmm. And it's a challenge to get there. How would you say it shaped you in your life of following Jesus? Yeah, I think it's really brought me back to to how I see God and how I come to God. I think it it cemented a lot of the work God had been doing in me already. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably the last two or three years, as I would read the Bible, I would see... um, these bold prayers people people in the Bible would pray. Um, Moses, you know, God, if you don't go with me, I'm not going to go. Mm-hmm. And Nehemiah, the whole book of Nehemiah starts out for this beautiful prayer of Nehemiah saying, you know, God, you have to come. We have to go do this thing, rebuilding the temple. You know, God, can you do this? Mm. Um, so we see this this over and over in Scripture, but there's still a point in me where I go, can I really pray that? Is it really okay? Mm. And what Tyler says is we really have to understand God's love. Do we really understand that he's big enough to want to um, meet us in that way, that God loves us so much, he desires so much for us? It's not about doing the right thing or being the right thing, but it's about this relationship with God. And that's where I think I grew up so much in that idea that prayer is this this thing I do, and I never felt good enough with it. Mm. Never felt good enough with it. But I think I came to understand that when the Bible says pray without ceasing, and I'm not even sure if he talks about this. This is a thought that I've had. Mm. It's because I learned to understand what the presence of God is in my life. Mm. And I'm walking in that presence with God every single day every single moment of the day, that even as we're having this conversation, I know he's with me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't prayer, while prayer is a time that I pull off and pray, prayer is also just living with God and having him speak to me. It's not always my speaking to him. It's mm-hmm. him speaking to me and knowing that he is directing my life. Mm, that's really good. That's really good. Um, so yeah, it's prayer is a lot of things that aren't necessarily mutually exclusive, right? Yeah, it's the time yeah. you say you pull off and talk to him yourself, but also the times you listen, 
Yeah. Or the times you contemplate in his presence. Right. Yeah. Right. That contemplation is something I've been trying to learn for several years. And I remember the first time hearing about it and just trying to sit for two minutes. Can I just sit for two minutes quietly in God's presence? And I'm so squirmy and so just, just busy that sitting, it was almost unbearable to sit for two minutes quietly in God's presence. And, you know, I, I at first would set a timer to try to do it. And in time, I have learned how to just do that. But I think that's how doing that is how I recognize God's presence in the other parts of my day. Yes. Yes. It trains us, doesn't it? Yeah. Right. Yes. It does. It does. And it's another form of prayer. Mm-hmm. I really relate to you because I think 10 years ago was the time that I first started to do that. And I would set the timer for five minutes. Yeah. And it was so anxiety producing at the beginning. Yeah. Actually stop and and sit and be still. But like you, over time, I would find that by the end of those periods of time that I set aside, God was doing some things in my heart, you know, yeah. that I would have missed. Right. And and I like what you said about you, you were able to then notice him in the other parts of your day as well. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. So like, have you been able to implement any of, of this sort of like what you just described about sort of the shift in your own heart around prayer over the last few years? How, how have you been able to implement that in your pastoral care to other people? Or is this a message that is freeing to them that you try to share with them? Yeah, well, two things there. So the first thing is one of the other things I do at the church here is I lead mm. the prayer ministry. Mm, okay. So, oh, cool. And our, our prayer time is Sunday. It's after the service. It's not mm. in the midst of the service. It's at the end of the service. People are invited if they need prayer. And what I've been training our prayer workers to do and what I've been doing myself is just that, to slow down and be silent. Because people come up forward for prayer and they're just, you know, desperate. They're desperate for God. And they're so, there's just an anxiety almost, Mm. you know, that they're coming forward to it. And when we just quiet ourselves, when we quiet what's going on, the spirit just comes and settles and breathes into that place. Mm. So that's a first place. And I just, it's become a practice when I pray with people that I just stop and I'm quiet. Mm. And I see the emotions and I can hear the spirit better and it calms me, it calms them, Mm -hmm. all of that. Um, Another place though is a while back, I don't know, probably the beginning of the summer, um, I wrote, we have a, a, a the church newsletter that goes out. The pastors, it rotates who writes the weekly blog mm. for it. So I wrote about prayer. Mm. Um, and it was after reading this book the first time. And um, I just included some stuff. And I think I talked about the title at the end. I put the title of the book and I put a couple um, apps and things like that. And last week I had a gal that I know here and um, really well. And she was sitting by me and she said, I'm going and I'm making a prayer room here. The pastor has said I can have this room behind the platform and it's really not used. And she said, I read this book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. And I said, yeah, remember we had that conversation? And she goes, no, I don't remember we had that conversation. It doesn't matter that we had the conversation. 
But she in it read about how he and his church, when he was in Brooklyn, had this prayer room where people mm-hmm. could come and pray. And so she's had this vision and she's, you know, just talked about the importance of prayer, how important prayer has become in her life. Mm-hmm. And so that's even part of reading. We read, we pass it on to others. And God is not going to speak to her in the way he speaks to me through the book. God's not going to speak to your listeners in the same way he's spoken to me. And this was actually my brother. It's actually my brother-in-law's favorite book. And he gave it to me. Mm. And and he has handed out this book to loads of people. Mm. And the way that God has spoken to my brother-in-law in it isn't the way God's spoken to me. Mm. But the the thing is, God knows where our lives need to be changed by prayer. Yeah. And he'll speak to each of us. Right. It's kind of like how God speaks to us through scripture, right? Like there's there's an inherent, you know, intention of the authors as they write, but then there's a work of the Holy Spirit to speak to us as we read. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How do you help people on your team or the people you're praying for um, maybe overcome the awkwardness of being silent for a little while? Like, do you tell them that you're going to be silent for a little while or give them any kinds of instructions? No, I just do it. I mean, with my prayer team, I've given them instruction. I just said, just be quiet. I don't know if they all do. It'll be kind of something we'll continue to talk mm-hmm. about. Um, but I know for myself, when I do it, I just feel people just kind of, they just kind of settle in with you. Mm-hmm. They're just quiet, quiet with you. Mm-hmm. And they're ready. I had one time a lady, I got quiet and she started praying. <laughs> it was great. Okay. And then I prayed for her after. But um, yeah, it's just that that settling in, settle in with God. And um, and people receive it. They don't, they don't question it, they don't do anything, but it's where the Holy Spirit, there's that opening for him to do his work at that point. Mm, that's good. You know, I was just thinking, Nancy, like in our um, tradition in the assemblies of God. Um, I know other people listening who have different traditions and come from different, you know, frameworks about prayer. This may not be so radical to them, but I feel like in our in our denomination or fellowship, typically prayer is loud and noisy, and it mm-hmm. happens quickly. Yeah. And I I transplanted into the assemblies of God yeah. like about almost 20 years ago now. Mm. And I, I had come more from like vineyard streams and, um, John Wimber's very like chill approach to prayer Mm. ministry. And, um, I remember just being so surprised and startled that some of the, like some of the (laughs) prayer and altar times that I experienced. And so, um, what you describe, I think is really good, especially for our fellowship, because Mm -hmm. we know, um, if we've been in it for a long time, we know what the experience is of, you know, praying with enthusiasm and passion and like, you know, just like a, an inspiration of the spirit that's strong and vocal and loud, but, but it's also good for us to be trained to hear God in the quiet and to be led to pray in the quiet. Right. You know, I really believe when we're praying with people, we're just joining what God is already doing in their lives. And I, I used to get really nervous. Like somehow people would come for 
prayer for healing and somehow I had to pray the right prayer mm. or somebody come forward. I've had people come forward and just said, I, I don't know why I'm here. I don't even know why I'm in church today. Mm. And I'm able to to walk them to Jesus. You know, they don't even realize that they're just there reaching for it, mm. but it's a work that God's already begun. He's already doing that work. He's doing the work of healing them. He's doing the work of touching them. He's doing the work. And we just get to join him in that. Mm-hmm. And another thing Tyler talks about in this book is, is that it's risky. Mm. Prayer is risky. And so are we willing to step out into that risk with God for what he already is doing and what he wants mm-hmm. to do? So that's what I that's how I just find it. And so it doesn't need to be me shouting louder or how how passionate I pray or how loud I pray or how powerful I pray. You know, we got a big thing with that in the AG <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah. It doesn't need to be that. It just needs to be joining God and listening to what he's already wanting mm. to do in that person's life. Mm. That's really good. I'm gonna throw a question to you, which you know, I didn't prep you for. Um, but you know, and whatever, maybe we'll erase it from the podcast, but like, say there's a person listening who has come up to receive prayer at, you know, at the end of a service somewhere, and maybe the experience they had was just really deeply uncomfortable or, you know, or they just went away, not feeling very safe. I mean, what would you say to that person um, about being able to, to receive prayer from someone in the body of Christ? Oh, that's such a great question, Heather. Such a good question. I don't know the answer. That's why I'm asking you. Yeah. And I don't know that I have all the answers either, but it's such a beautiful question because really there's so many people that that's been their reality. I have a good friend that that happened to her in her twenties and she's in her sixties and she has never again gone forward for prayer. Wow. Wow. And, and there is such, I think there can be a stigma toward prayer. There can be, you know, well, why is he going forward? Man, something must be really wrong in his life. You know, all that kind of stuff, rather than just knowing we have, the privilege to go and meet the God of the universe. Mm. And so that has happened to somebody. I first, I'm sorry. You know, and I don't throw that out as something light, but I'm sorry that somebody who is there for God and praying for God has done this negative thing, done this thing that has turned you from prayer. And and at the same time, I would say try again mm. because everybody is not that one person. Yeah. And I, I think, isn't that the whole lesson we have to learn when people hurt us yeah. going back to the beginning of our, our, our thing. Yes. Our beginning of our conversation, you know, everybody is not that one person and there are people who care for you deeply. There are people who want to pray with you. There's people who want to agree with you in what has happened in prayer. And and may God heal you and may God open you up to the power of the prayer and and, and people agreeing in prayer with you. Mm. And can we just get normal also? There's yeah. the other thing. <laughs> can we just be normal? People, let's be normal when we pray with people. Mm, say more about that. 
What do you mean by that? Be normal. I think I know, but just. Well, I just think sometimes as Pentecostals, we just do weird things. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we I, I've had so many friends that have just told me weird stories of things that happened to them. Mm-hmm. And and, you know, like that people shouting down things, people saying mm-hmm. things that are inappropriate, mm-hmm. people, um, people claiming things. Um, I've been reading another book called Tuning Into the God Who Speaks. Mm. And it's just, it's a hugely charismatic book, which has not been my stream at all. And yet I think what he's saying is so powerful. And he says, when we listen to God for people, you know, we don't do correction. We don't do correct um, direction. Mm-hmm. And so that's sometimes we think we have to be the voice of God for people. Yeah. We don't have to be the voice of God for people. We just have to be there to encourage them that God is on their side. That's good. And so that's what I'm saying. That's normal. Mm-hmm. God is there. God is here for you. He loves you. He cares for you. If we pray his characteristics, if we pray who he is, he's the God who provides. He's the God who sees. He's the God who loves. He's the God who cares. He's a good God. If we pray those things, we don't have to try to just drum up all these other things. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Nancy, thank you for this conversation. You're welcome. Yeah, I just feel like there's just been a beautiful thread, you know, even from the beginning um, to this idea that, you know, the people and relationships can heal just as they can hurt. And then even with prayer, like even with praying with others in the body of Christ, hey, if there's been a bad experience, God also wants to redeem that experience. Yeah. Yeah. He is a God who redeems. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening in on my conversation with Pastor Nancy Rotz about Tyler Staten's book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, an invitation to the wonder and mystery of prayer. You can follow Nancy on Facebook or contact her via email. Look for those links in the show notes, along with links to other books and resources we mentioned. Also, if you want to support the podcast in spirit or with your bank account, you can subscribe to it at yprb.substack.com or give it a rating on your favorite podcast platform, share an episode on the socials, or send a link to a friend. Once again, I'm your host, Heather Weber. For more information about me, head on over to my website at heatherweber.org. That's Weber with one B. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to read a great book today.